Aren't you glad that God is a gap filler? Yeah. And that's really the good news of this series, is that God fills the gaps. We, we started this entire series by looking at the prophet Elisha, and where he met with these kings, and he told them to dig some ditches. And God was faithful to fill the gap that they had, that they made. And I want to go back and visit this prophet today because he has another lesson for us to learn that he wants to teach us. Because after the success of his nationally acclaimed ditch digging initiative, <laughs> Elisha, he's no longer the mysterious newcomer on the scene. He is the senior prophet. He is the man that people go to when they have a need. And the reason I like this text that we're going to look at is because on the surface, it seems really small. It, it seems really insignificant. But there's nothing exceptional about this situation. Uh, a little context, because in the context of Elisha's life, this is not a very big miracle. I mean, right before this one that we're going to read, he has just finished consulting with kings. I mean, that's what a prophet does. He consults with the political powers. And then right after this miracle that we're going to read, he helps a wealthy woman with a great need that she has. So he's talking to important people in both situations. But sandwiched between these two miracles, there's something that happens that seems really small. The context is this. One of Elisha's fellow prophets has died. And the widow of this prophet comes to Elisha and she pours out her troubles. You see, not only has she lost her husband, but now she reveals because she hasn't been managing her finances well, now she's about to lose her two sons in addition to it. And in this tragic situation, it seems as though the prophet is going to miraculously meet her need. Or at the very least, he's going to offer her some encouraging advice, some encouraging words, some encouraging wisdom. But instead, he does something that is very unexpected. And on the surface, at least to me, it seems like he really mishandles this situation. I want us to look at it together so you can just see it for yourselves. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you're taking notes, you can write that down or you can look it up in your Bibles. I'm going to put it on a screen so we can all follow along together. But in 2 Kings chapter 4... Started in verse 1, it says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? i got to stop right there because like some of you, when you read the Bible, you read it wrong. Look, like some of you, when you read this, you, you're reading it as though Elisha is a concierge at Nordstrom. Like he's saying, hey, how can I help you? My pleasure to serve you. What do you need today? But that's not how you got to read it. you got to read this like you are talking to a teenager behind the counter at McDonald's after they forgot to put fries in your Happy Meal. That's how you have to look at this. This is not a, how can I help you? This is a, what do you want from me? How can I help you? Why are you coming to me? Well, what do you want me to do about this? There is no grace in this question. He's saying, look, this isn't my problem. Why are you coming to me? And you see the next thing he says. He says, tell me, 
What do you have in your house? It's like, don't come to me. Look at what you got. You do something with this. And she responds, well, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. I want to stop right there and use this to talk about our message this morning. You've got a prophet that's rude and a widow that's ruined. I want to use this text to talk to you today about mismanaged miracles. Mismanaged miracles. Now, it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. I would ask that you would just bow your head with me. I believe God wants to use this to speak to your life today. He's going to show you some things about how to make room and the work that he wants to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word, for your truth, for your help. God, I know that every time we open up your word, you speak to us. And God, only you can take one message and speak it to so many different people. So God, I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would use me today. Speak through me. Let your words go forth, not my words, God. I thank you for it. I believe it. And everybody who agrees with that can say, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, how many of you have ever said something that you wish you could take back? Anybody? I don't mean like you like cuss somebody out. Maybe that is what you wish. I just mean like, like you put your foot in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, like there was this one time I thought this lady was pregnant. Oh. Well, I know now, okay? But... <laughs> Okay, different story. Uh, there was this one time. There was this. Uh, there was this lady that was at our church, and, and uh, she didn't speak any English. Somebody she only spoke Spanish, and um, so she came. And I wanted to make sure our church was a lot smaller then, and I wanted to make sure that you know she was having a good time and that she connected with everything. And um, I, I got my buddy Josh Contreras. You guys know Josh Contreras. Josh can just wave. Somebody see you. Uh, Josh Contreras, and. Um, and I said, hey, Josh, I need you. Will you come here? I need your help with something. And I brought her over. I brought him over to the lady. And I said, hey, I need you to tell her um, that I'm really glad she's here. I hope she had a good time. And he's like, Pastor Justin, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Your name is, is Contreras. <laughs> Sometimes you say things, and, uh, and I'm just saying, you wish you could take them back. Sometimes you say things because it's careless. Um, sometimes you say things, and it's callous. I remember my wife and I, we'd been married for nine months. It was her brother's wedding. And uh, so the wedding day, it was great. I was part of the wedding. You know, been part of this family now for, for three years, officially for, for nine months. And after the wedding... Um, my mother-in-law grabs, grabs uh, her son, Marissa, my father-in-law, and the bride-to-be, and says, hey, we want a family picture. I go to get in the picture, and she says, no, Justin, just the family. Oh. I'm just saying, but sometimes, sometimes we say things that are careless, and we, we mismanage situations. I look at the situation and um, I just think, Elisha, what are you doing? Like, you're not doing this woman any favors. That this woman comes to him in her time of need, and Elisha's like, what do you have? I'm sorry, have you not been paying attention to the story, Elisha? Were you too busy checking your Instagram updates to listen to the part where she said, I'm in debt? The creditors are coming to take away my sons. 
Context clues, she has nothing. If she had something, she wouldn't be in this situation. It's not just a blunder. It's uncaring what he says. I mean, you gotta put yourself in this woman's shoes. Think about this woman. His question is more than just insensitive. This woman is in a tragic season of her life. She's lost her husband. Maybe she's wondering if God even cares. I mean, maybe she's been calling out to God to prolong his life or heal him. She literally said he revered the Lord. And so I wonder if she's in a scenario where she's questioning God's faithfulness. Have you ever been there? I'm sorry, I just want to talk to the real people for a minute. Have you ever questioned God's faithfulness? I mean, I know we sing songs about the faithfulness of God. You never fail, you never will. I I get that. But I wonder if you've ever questioned God's faithfulness. In fact, I would argue you really never live by faith unless you have questioned God's faithfulness. And I know I'm reading into the text a little bit here. But I just, I read this, and I wonder if there's some underlying hurt in this woman's voice as she comes to Elisha, and she says, your servant, your servant, that was my husband, he's dead. Like, you knew about this situation, Elisha. You could have done something. She says, and you know that he revered the Lord. You know, he he was a God-fearing, God-serving man. The implication is you knew about this situation and you didn't do anything about it. You could have healed him while he was sick. You knew we were believing God that he would live, but he's dead. We were asking for a miracle. We needed a miracle. God didn't show up. We're good people. We're Christian people. I thought, I thought God was supposed to keep things like this from happening in my life. And if that's not bad enough, now I'm about to lose my sons too. See, I, I want to talk to some people today who their problem has problems. I, I want to talk to the real people, and I just wonder, have you ever questioned God's faithfulness? Have you ever believed for a miracle and not seen it happen. In fact, maybe you've had the opposite take place. I have. And I've prayed that God would heal somebody, and they died. I've prayed that God would keep a marriage together, and they divorced. I've prayed that God would move in a certain way and show up in a situation, and it didn't happen. And when you're standing in faith, and you're watching it fail, Maybe that's when you begin to question, God, are you really faithful? How many of you are really glad and uplifted that you came to church today? (laughs) I'm not here to bring you down. I'm just saying this is where a lot of people get trapped in their relationship with God. They, They expected God to do something, and he didn't. And so it's bad enough that my husband, who was a godly man, is dead. Now, she fears that her two sons are going to be taken away too. Put into slavery. 
to pay off a debt so they can work it off. And aren't you glad that you at least get a notice in the mail now when you have something that's past due? They don't just come. Although there are a couple kids I might be willing to trade, but I'm just saying, this is what she was dealing with during this period of time. She's pleading and appealing her case, and Elisha responds, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want from, how can I help you? Come on, Elisha. That's not very pastoral. It's like the first thing they teach you in pastoral counseling is empathize with the person. You know, listen to them, at least. Let them tell their story. Don't make them feel bad for coming to you. You're like putting her down. This is the wrong way to handle this, Elisha. You're supposed to work a miracle that's going to help her, not make her feel bad for sharing with you. But Elisha is not being rude. He's, he's not. He's really trying to show us something. Because what Elisha is doing is saying, okay, I hear you. I got you. But I'm not going to linger on the problem part of this conversation. And this is the first thing I want to tell you today. Is don't pause on the problem. If you want to make room for God to work a miracle in your life, this is one of the best things you can do. The first thing is don't pause on the problem. Good. It's liberating when you realize that you don't have to stay on the problem and understand all the circumstances before you can move forward. Try and figure out why God did this or why God didn't do this. And I see a lot of people that are stuck trying hard either to defend or figure out why. It's really this question of why. If God is so good, then why? Why did this happen? Or why didn't God do this? But can I just tell you, it's okay to not know why. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. It's okay to not have an answer. There are some things that are only going to be understood on the other side of eternity. Yeah. But what's not okay, if you want God to move in your life, if you want to make room for a miracle, what's not okay is to stay in the place where you're talking about the crisis Good. and you're dwelling on the hardship because the problem is not the problem. Can I tell you something? Problems are actually necessary for miracles. Wow. You don't have a miracle unless you have a problem. So if you want God to work a miracle in your life, by definition, you are going to have a problem. And problems can serve a purpose. Because your problems reveal you. Your problems give you a platform to find out what you really got. Your problem might look like the end, but the truth is, it's going to help you find out how tough you are. How strong you are. It's going to reveal your influence. It's going to reveal your ministry. It's going to reveal your discipline. It's going to reveal your integrity. It's going to reveal your fight. It's going to reveal your function. Your problem is not your problem. So good. Yeah. Your problem is the pathway to possibility. Wow, that's good. Now, that's not my point. That's just the point that leads to the point. And I, I need to spend some time here for a minute because when... We started the series, I, 
I started it by asking everybody, if you're a Christian, I said, if you're a Christian, I need you to approach this series with this question, what are you believing God for? And on the other side, I flipped that. I said, if you're here and you're not a Christian, which is awesome because we started this church for people like you Amen. to come where you can know what the Bible says and you can meet Jesus and you can belong before you believe. Right. Yeah. I said, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to view this series through the lens of your greatest need. Now, I meant what I said, but that was five weeks ago when I got to take it a step further. Because if you're not a Christian, I do want you to think about whatever that need is in your life. But I also want you to know there is a difference between you and somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus. Because while you're focused on the problem... Somebody who has placed their faith in Christ is focused on the possibility. That's why Christians are called believers. We believe in possibilities. We believe in what Jesus did for us. And naming what is happening in your life is not the same thing as naming what can happen. And what you want to see happen. Naming a need is not the same thing. As naming a possibility. Naming a need is describing what is, but naming a possibility is describing what is not yet, but could be. Which is the definition of faith, by the way. Hebrews 11 one says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So it doesn't take any courage or any faith to name a need. Anybody can comment on what's happening. But faith begins when we engage with something that is not and start calling it possible. So good. That's why I want to tell you the second thing. Profess the possibilities. Profess the possibility. See, that's really what Elisha's doing when he asks her the question. He's saying, look, I know your situation. I know the things that you don't have. But I need you to recognize what you do have. I need you to change your focus. I need you to profess possibility. Because faith begins whenever you profess possibility. That's why this is the action step this week. Everybody get an envelope. If you didn't get one, then write it on a sheet of paper. Nothing special about the envelope. But right there, what are you believing God for? I want you to write that down. Profess the possibility. And here's the cool thing about this is we, we're eight years as a church. We've been doing this for a while now. I've seen time and time again people name possibilities and God answer a prayer. Right. I've seen people write that they would believe in God for a spouse. And now they're married. I've seen people believe in God for the salvation of a loved one, a friend or a family member. And they come to faith in Christ, and they've been baptized in our church. I've seen people believing God for a certain career opportunity, and now they are in that position yes. that they were asking God for. I've seen people believing God for a certain business deal to happen, and that deal does happen, and it goes through. I've seen college students asking God for purpose and direction in their life, and so God answers that and gives them a call. I've seen 
high schoolers believing God to get into a certain college, and God answers that. I've seen people believe in God for healing. These are people who didn't just describe the problem, didn't just describe the need, but they were naming the possibility. So Elisha says to this woman, tell me, what do you have in your house? Because making room for a miracle is always going to start with what you have. The problem is so many of us are focused on what we don't have. The talent we don't have, the skill we don't have, the resource we don't have, the staff we don't have, the building we don't have, the opportunity we don't have. But when you're making room, you can't let yourself just focus on what you don't have. You have to stay focused on what you do have. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? That's things beginning to get interesting because if you notice, she takes exception to his question. She, she's like, look, I really like what you're asking me, and I'm going to prove to you why it's a stupid question. I think a lot of us do this sometimes. Like, when we're asked something, we take exception to it. Like, when I, I can relate. Like, whenever God asks me something, gives me an instruction that I don't want to do, I, I take exception. Tell, tell God why I can. He says, what do you have in your house? He's like, you're not just being rude. You don't know the depth of my destitution. I don't have anything. And maybe you've done that too. God asks you something. He gives you an instruction. And you want to let him know why you're the exception. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive that person. Yeah, but see, you don't know what they did. Oh, boy. You don't know how bad they hurt me. Okay, I, I, I want you to submit to that authority. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. They're not a good person. Wow. Everybody knows that. They're a horrible leader. I want you to go to counseling. No, no. If I did that, that would be admitting I have a problem. And I don't. I want you to serve in the next gen ministry. Yeah, but you don't know how busy I am. I want you to give God your first and your best. Yeah, but you don't know how little I made. Or on the flip side, God, you don't know how much I made. Like, that would be a big check. Are you kidding me? Right. Yeah, I don't want you to do that deal. Are you crazy? I can make a lot of money with this. I don't want you to go to that place, but it's a great opportunity. Hey, I want you to make sure that you're home in the evenings because your family needs you. Yeah, but how am I going to get ahead if I don't work extra? I want you to leave that relationship. Yeah, but if I do, I'll be lonely. I just noticed like when God asks something of us, we often want to be the exception. But God wants to use our exception. She says, I don't have anything except, except a small jar of olive oil. And that was all God needed. Because all God needs is all you have to accomplish everything he's called you to do. So the prophet says, hey, that's good enough for me. Go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. He's saying, think big. Get ready. 
I know you only have a little, but I need you to gather a lot because, the third thing I want to tell you, the promise is not proportional. The promise is not proportional. See, sometimes the enemy tries to get you to think that all you have is all that there is. But God is not limited by what you have. He's only limited by I'm glad the Holy Spirit just spoke on that. somebody to get that. And you got to think about this because Elisha doesn't tell her how God is going to do this. Right? He says, look, I know what you got and I know what God can do. So here's what I want you to do, but I'm not going to tell you how. He just asks us to make room. And I don't know if you realize what happened in this story, but I need to spell it out for you. Because this woman comes to Elisha because she is about to sell her sons into slavery to pay off her debt because she's so deeply in debt. She's looking to Elisha for provision, and Elisha says, go borrow jars. I'm in debt. Elisha says, go borrow jars. Wait, wait a minute. That's... That's how I got into this situation. Well, then it should be easy for you. <laughs> this, I, I'm already deeply in debt. How much deeper do you want me to go? Uh, don't borrow just a few. Because see, for God to do what he wants to do in your life, it is always going to cause you to trust him at a deeper level. Now, you've got to understand, like, faith feels foolish most of the time. You understand how ridiculous this scenario is? It was her own bad money management that got her into this problem. The prophet is being rude to her. And then the next thing he tells her to do is the very thing that got her into this predicament in the first place. This is not sound advice on any level. I mean, Dave Ramsey would be yelling through the radio at this person. Imagine what it would have been like. Like, how many of you have that friend that you know, like, you are always going to be buying lunch for them, even if they don't bring it up? Don't point at them. I know some of you are looking at your teenager right now. I'm just saying. Like, you know that person who is always borrowing, always hitting you up for something. I just imagine the scenario, right? Elijah says, hey, go to your neighbor's. So she goes to the neighbors. They quickly like close the blinds, shut the door. It's like, here she comes again. She knocks on the door. Uh, finally, they come. like, um, yeah, I was, um, I was wondering if I could borrow some, some jars, some empty ones. Like, uh, what, like, like one? No, I'll, I'll take, I'll take like as many as you got. Like any, you know, whatever you're not using, maybe if you have just a little bit left, you could like pour it out, like just give me everything <laughs> empty that you have. Didn't I see like a foreclosure sign on your house like the other, yeah, don't worry about that, I'm working on that. Um, I just need to borrow some stuff. Okay, well can I ask what you're gonna do with it? You know, I don't really know yet. I haven't got that far. I just, 
just needs some jars, some empty jars. Because the prophet has told her to do something, and he hasn't told her what's going to happen yet. She goes to the prophet and says, I need provision. Okay, go to your neighbors and borrow. Well, that sounds like work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need you to provide. But see, miracles take work. Yeah. Miracles take work. To gather jars is to create space. Mm. It's to create capacity. How much oil God sends depends on how much you gather. When he says to gather jars, he's saying, how much I respond to you is up to you. He fills you not because you want to be filled or you need to be filled, but because you've created capacity. So good. So what you have is not a problem for God. God's never limited or intimidated by what you have or what you don't have. His promise is not proportional to what you have. The question is, will you do what he tells you with what you have? And this is what the prophet told the woman to do. He says, then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, because some of the things God wants to do in your life aren't for everybody to see. You don't need to post a picture every time God brings a blessing. And pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And the oil stopped flowing. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. Is that potential is only seen when it's pouring. What something can be and what God can do can only be seen when you pour it out. And what the enemy wants is to make you miss your miracle over a very small thing. See, that's why I call this mismanaged miracles. Because our miracles are often hidden in what we're overlooking. The reason you're overlooking it is because it seems so small to you. And the reason it seems so small to you is because you're insecure about what you're not. But when you've lived in a deficit for a long time, it overshadows the oil that you do have. The enemy wants you to disregard your oil. He wants you to devalue the season that you're in. Yeah. He wants you to remember back about how much you used to have or think about what you hope to have one day. But meanwhile, the question the prophet is asking isn't what do you wish you had? The question is what do you have left? Good. And there's potential in what you have left. But the oil only flows when it's poured. You can pray over it. You can cry over it. You can wish for it. But until you pour it, it just stays a small little jar. Now this doesn't make sense from a human perspective. Because lots of times... When we have a need in our life, the last thing we want to do is pour it out. But God has set up his kingdom in such a way that when you pour it out, it multiplies. You need encouragement? 
Encourage somebody today. You need strength. Be a strength for someone. You need help. Help somebody. You need grace. Give somebody grace. You need love. You need to show love to someone else. The problem is, when you feel poor, you don't pour. But it wasn't until she poured that what she had became more. See, if the enemy can't take your oil, he'll try and get you to stop using your oil. Yeah. And I think that's where some people are at today. You've stopped pouring. You've been hurt, you stopped pouring. You gave your heart to somebody, you love somebody, they hurt you, they left you, you stopped pouring. Some of you have even stopped, stopped pouring in church. Not because of the church, but because of a person who you attached the church to or Jesus to, and you've let that one person be the sole representation of what God wants to do in your life, and you stop pouring. Wow. We tend to think, I'll pour more when I get more, but the way it works in the kingdom of God is it becomes more when it gets poured. Good. It only became more once it was in motion. And if only there was a church that just by the name, you knew, like, if you got there, it would get your faith in motion. Yeah. It would get your life in motion. It would begin to activate something. It would begin to multiply what God wants to do in your life. If only there was a church that you could just plug into. And begin to multiply what God wants in your life. Let me wrap this up. It says in verse 7. When she went and told the man of God. And he said go sell the oil. And pay your debts. And you and your sons can live. On what's left. That's what I want you to see. When she stopped pouring. It stopped flowing. Why did she stop pouring? She ran out of capacity. She ran out of room. God will fill whatever you make space for. He's a gap filler. He fills the gaps in your life. Maybe you've made some gaps by your mistakes. Today I want to challenge you to make some room on purpose. To make some room intentionally. Because when you make room for God to move, and you pour out what little you have, it might seem like mismanagement to make lots of room when all you have is a little. But God and his oil will flow in the places where you've made space because he's a gap filler. Yeah. 